0: and welcome back to Flight Through Entirety, a Doctor Who podcast of great power and wisdom and consolation to the soul in times of need. I'm Nathan. I'm James. I'm Peter.
1: And I'm Todd.
0: Well, we're in a world entirely populated by John Sims and I can't see any particularly persuasive reason for leaving. Still, David's ultimate immolation approaches and so it's time for us to sit down, wipe Timothy Dalton's spittle from our clothing and discuss the final episode of Russell T Davis's era, The End of Time Part 2. that this is really great. And I have to say that as someone who hates Gallifrey and, you know, I think it was pretty good in Deadly Assassin, but ever since then, it's been shockingly bad. And so this, I think, is really kind of magnificent. And, you know, it's very CG, like it's perhaps a little bit more ambitious than they can properly realise. But we go into this negative space, like a completely empty black room. Senate chamber from the Phantom Menace?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that at the end of the last episode? Or was it this episode?
0: So we did see that, but we also see him walking from that Senate room across a kind of... Gantry. Gantry. Yeah, yeah. And then they're in this sort of space. And now we get the time war. And it's been the thing that's been hanging over the program ever since it started. And now we actually kind of see it. And we see it in a Doctor Who way. It's a lot of people talking about it, but we actually see it. I do love that uh, they name
2: check the moment.
0: Yeah, so this is the introduction of the moment, and in fact uh, we were talking about this during the week. This is happening, this scene is happening at exactly the same time as the scenes with the General in uh, the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, we report that the Doctor has the moment he's going to destroy us all. Somewhere else in the capital, uh, the General's having that meeting. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And, and Moffat does change things a bit because he wants to tell a slightly different story. But he rewrites this ending for the Time War. But he refers to this ending. And the moment is Russell's creation.
1: You said that you really like it. I have problems with this whole scene i think timothy dalton when he screams i will not die is so over the top i just kind of go ugh, yeah and then he doesn't know that it's earth right it has to be revealed through the visionary that's where they are but in the previous episode he's narrating the uh, the master and the doctor and what they're doing so he knows what they're doing but then he doesn't know where they are so how does he know what they're doing where they are and doesn't know where they are. I'm getting yeah. completely confused by logic.
0: So that final speech looks like it's still part of the narration that Timothy Dalton's doing, and so perhaps it looks like he's telling that narration to the High Council or whoever that is in that big room. Um, but perhaps. In retrospect, that's not what's happening because, as you say, why is he talking to the High Council about Earth and people having dreams and things? So the
1: narration in episode one is occurring after this first sequence here when he knows where it is and then – so it's all out of sync with time itself, which is a really appalling sort of – we're just explaining away plot holes. Yeah, well, I don't
0: think it's a plot hole because I do think that what happens is you've got – um you know, distinguished actor Timothy Dalton giving a narration, and then that narration turns into him addressing the Time Lords. Uh, and so, if you want to look at it that way, no one actually says that that's the narration for the first half of the story. He's not telling that story to the assembled Time Lords in Gallifrey, he's telling it to us. Uh, but then he intrudes into the story, and it turns out he's a character. And so, it doesn't quite work. But I think it's Timothy Dalton.
3: I kind of agree with all of you to an extent. I think it does look good, although it's mostly played against black drapes and then against um, white drapes later on. Um, But I'm so disappointed in the conception of the Time Lords from Russell because Robert Holmes made something of them. He made them organic and interesting and funny, whereas what Russell falls back on here is just standard sort of politicking and theatrics of people sitting around a big table remonstrating with each other. There's no charm and there's no wittiness to them at all. But isn't that the point? It may be the point, but it's not Not entertaining to watch at all.
0: So, I mean, what something has happened to the Time Lords since we last saw them. So,
2: in the initial scripting, Russell had wanted the Time Lords to have formed an alliance with the Daleks to show how far they had become debased in their attempts to
0: escape from the time lock. Right. And then just toss that oh, away. okay, so they were all in the time lock together. Yeah, and, and
2: trying to escape. But then uh, Moffat said, oh, I want to use him in Victory of the Daleks. And and so he didn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, he couldn't have destroyed the Daleks forever sort of thing. You never really He just brought them back. Yeah, 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 yeah. But
3: you see what I mean? There's a lack of wittiness in any of those scenes. And I understand that that's what he's going Going for. for, But that's not a reason to do it.
0: I think... Because what's happening in this story is that the Time Lords are the most evil threat that the Doctor has ever faced, that they've stopped being his home planet. And he knew that all along. And so, while ever he was talking about his home planet and how it had gone and how he was the last of the Time Lords, the reason he's last of the Time Lords is because he killed them all because they were going to destroy the entirety of creation. And so, they are more evil than the Daleks, and I think that's a really, really great thing to do. Even if it means that what you've got, I don't think there's no pleasure to be derived from Timothy Dalton shouting at people and exploding people and stuff I at would the agree table. With that. And
3: I think that you could still, you could still tell that story and keep Timothy Dalton's wrestle on pretty well unchanged. But the characters around him are utterly faceless. Yeah, and so it's really just him shouting at the camera and at other people.
0: Yeah. I do like when he explodes that woman, the partisan. I think that's sort of really that quite was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I thought it was Chancellor Flavia. No, no, no. It's
0: Thalia. Are you sure?
1: I'd th- say,
3: <laughs> yes. Is there anyone who doesn't think that the addition of like, you know, an, an Engin or a Kelner or a Mind Probe would not have made those scenes better and more fun?
1: Well, there is that other guy that, that's there that keeps explaining. It's groveling a bit. I think that's probably that character, but he's not funny enough, is he? He's Maybe not. he could have been funnier. But what you were saying about the Time Lords and what they've become, I don't get that sense. But and, I mean,
0: they they are trying to destroy literally everything else. But I don't get that sense. Not at, at this all, point at all. Until right at
1: the end, where yeah. you suddenly get an info dump saying we want to transcend to beings of whatever. That's the only moment yeah. in time, and so I just don't think for me. Yeah, they're coming back, but I never get the sense of the real threat. It's all words spoken by David Tennant as opposed to showing us. So I just don't. Feel it, yeah. as much as perhaps what you you are feeling it.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's fair. I mean, you get it a little. You, you get a little sense of it from Dalton's performance. I mean, he's so clearly a villain, and he's wearing the Torchwood resurrection glove, isn't he? Is that, that I think we meant to understand that that's what that is. Okay, uh, okay. I, I do see the similarity in the glove. I didn't necessarily think it was that particular glove. Oh, no, but- no, no, I want it to be. Let it. Let's let's have it be that. Um, <laughs> and you're right. We don't actually hear it, and when we do. Here it its word peril, but it is that revelation at that point in the story that what, and the master doesn't know it. You know, the master doesn't know that the Time Lords are the problem that the Time Lords are going to pose to him isn't that they're going to lock him up or erase him from existence or anything like that. It is that they're going to destroy everything, that they're so much worse than him. And because he was away, he missed the end of the Time War. He didn't know that. I guess some of their
1: of what they've become does perhaps shine through in the fact that they've used the master from a child and putting the beats into his head and I do get that from that.
3: That's my problem with the Time laws in this episode. They've become Zog from the planet Zog. What you were saying, Todd, is we're meant to care about the fact that they're going to destroy the universe because we're told to care about it. It's it's Russell doing Omega from the Ark of Infinity. We're meant to care who Omega is because we're told to care about it as opposed to there being any resonance or involvement for the audience to make them
2: appreciate it. At one point, Omega was supposed to be in this story.
0: Oh, really?
1: really? What do you feel about being Rassilon? Because I liked jolly old Rassilon back from The Five Doctors when he was a floating head with a red beard. And I kind of thought, oh, yes, he was a nice old soul that, you know, sort of steered the Time Lords in the days of old. And he's obviously been resurrected yeah. like the master. I mean, could it have been Barusa or
0: Flavia? Oh, you know, so, <laughs> So what we're trying to do, I think, is – This is the first time that the people in the new series have seen Gallifrey. They know nothing of the Mind Probe. They know nothing of those plastic sofas. This is their first shot at Gallifrey. And I think Russell gives them the name Rassilon so they can have that as well. And so it could have been anyone. The name Rassilon is thrown away in one line of dialogue. He's just the president until then. Mm. And it's a surprise to us who have... Seen the show before, but it doesn't matter. Now the kids have a on and they can have that word as well as part of their Doctor Who fandom. So I thought that was a kind of generous thing to do. And the Partisan, that fabulous, who I do think is really quite fabulous, she's sort of super posh and a little bit dismissive. She says people are dying and being resurrected and dying and being resurrected. This is a time war. It's super weird. Russell's time war is much weirder than Moffat's time war. Moffat's time war is just you know, guns. A war and exp- in time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Russell's is always sort of much weirder than that. He has like the silver devastation. Maybe the silver cloak is part of the silver, silver devastation.
1: <laughs> yes, all those, all those things that David Tennant spurts out, like. Yeah. Which make no sense in my no. head at all.
0: And I think that's the point of them. I think the, the, Time War is ultimately supposed to be incomprehensible. It's got to be described in terms that are super suggestive but utterly weird. Is that dramatically satisfying? Well, I mean, how much more dramatically satisfying is, I guess those scenes in the Time War in Day of the Doctor are pretty good, but they're also pretty generic as well.
3: Mm. That scene where the Doctor is facing off against Rassilon and is there in a big dramatic moment the music swelling saying, back into hell, Rassilon, or whatever that line is, is, I think, the nadir of Russell's Doctor Who, because it's everything he set out not to do when he brought the show back. Right, He didn't want the Doctor remonstrating against kind of aliens in pompous terms, against sci-fi settings and things. Yeah. He wanted some character um, warmth there. And I think he shouldn't have brought back the Time Lords, or if he did, he should have done something interesting, put a spin on them like Bob Holmes did, because otherwise he's left with the thing he didn't want to do, and he was right. He was vindicated not do in that decision.
0: I mean, I guess the spin that he puts on them is that they're more evil than the Daleks, but maybe that's not so interesting. I mean, it's you know, we we have to remember that all of the people, all of the ten million people watching this, know what Gallifrey is and know who Time Lords are. It's actually twelve point two
3: seven million by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. right. So so twelve point two seven two or twelve point
0: two seven three.
1: (laughs) Well, mine is the (laughs) naseless.
0: But um, so I think Julie was right in saying this is the one thing we haven't touched and we need to do it before we go. Um, But, yeah. Well, I'm glad
1: that he did and I don't necessarily have a problem that there is generic or whatever you want to say. You like them a lot, Nathan. You don't, Peter. He's proving why we don't want them and we've brought them back and we've now covered that and we can
0: never see them again move forward <laughs> <laughs> they lack
1: campness
0: yeah
3: and I'm surprised at Russell for that but and, you know I I, I want to emphasize the fact that the only reason I'm disappointed is that I expected Russell would do so much more with them
0: you have a camp villain though already in the master and one of the ways of coding someone as villainous in Doctor Who is to give them no sense of humor yeah true yeah okay <laughs>
1: So we obviously cut back from Gallifrey back into what's going on on earth and the master's got the doctor all strapped up, Donna's phoning Wilf. The master winks at Wolf, I think, is hilarious. And then I love that line. He loves playing with Earth girls. <laughs> what is all that winking? Because Tenant does it as well. Tenant winks at the master, <laughs> right? Leaving a defense w- weapon for Donna, again, with the Donna flashbacks and her whole exploding with energy and collapses and the typical. Russell has not told us the whole story. This is, you yeah, know, he's got to get out of jail free card for Donna.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's not exactly what we were told and almost certainly not what he was thinking at the time. But it's like I have this sort of set piece that I want to do for the cliffhanger and I'll just paper over it a little bit with a little bit of dialogue. But I, but I love that the master
1: doesn't want to hear anything from the doctor,
0: right? He yeah. doesn't want to hear
1: anything and then when this happens, then he does take off the, the tape over the the doctor's mouth, and then the doctor's trying to persuade him to travel with the stars and with my honour. So I kind of like this scene for the interaction between all three of them, but particularly John Sim and David Tennant. Yeah, I think the last episode was lacking some of this.
2: And it's something that Moffat returns to with Missy in a big way, and the show is all better for that, I think
0: but we're getting ahead of ourselves. But you mean the idea that the master could be redeemed? Yeah. He could actually make a decision. He doesn't have to own the world. He can just see it. And the doctor just gives him a Florana speech, doesn't he? And he kind of rejects it. And the the only reason that he rejects it- Is why- he the his water wings. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know why he rejects it? Because he, he then says, will the drumming in my head stop? And so the only reason he can't be redeemed is- is because the Time Lords did that to him in this episode do it to him. And and so that also, you know, puts them above him as as villains, makes them his enemy, and makes them more evil and manipulative. Like so now they're responsible for every death that the master has caused, for all of the harm that he's caused. Yeah. It makes narrative
3: and thematic sense as we knew it would with Russell Rice in it. Um I just question
1: it's entertainment value.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough.
1: And I do like the entertainment value towards the end of this scene where the master gets distracted because he wants to triangulate um, with the six billion of himself. And then, you know, the smugness of the doctor, like that person is one inch too, too tall. And then he gets rescued. The master just gets knocked out and it's like worst rescue Ever. I think it's the most hilarious line as they're coming down the stairs. I love that. Meg lost twins to the rescue.
2: (laughs) You know how we were talking last week about uh, David Tennant being injured? He had actually just recently had back surgery before that scene. And in
0: long shots, it's a mannequin. Yeah, it's plastic David Tennant. You can tell if you look closely, but it is pretty well done. You may not ever have noticed. And it's clear from the confidential that it's not David Tennant in the trolley going down the stairs. Wow. But before we do that, there is a whole bunch of stuff. When I tweeted about this earlier in the week, a friend of the podcast, Kevin, tweeted to me some excerpts from the script where the master seems to be hitting on himself, um, where um, one of the masters, like I think the – The Chinese one who the master's speaking to is sort of super hyper as if he's been on drugs. I think he says, I think this one's been self medicating. And then the master instructs him to go off and shoot himself, and he shoots himself in the head, like off camera and stuff. And so there's all this sort of fun camp interaction between all of the masters that just doesn't make it to the final version of the story. And it might have been more fun because, you know, at that moment where he winks, at Wilf, he's doing the master thing, which is be more fun than the Doctor, threaten to be more charismatic and interesting than the Doctor, and I love that. That's the best thing about the character.
3: It's Perry from the caves around Rosani, isn't it? Why is she doing that British accent? Because there's a whole
1: cut scene where she's mocking the Doctor's yeah, British accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Yeah, no, it's really fun. You're really
1: going to have to give it to John Sim the, the amount of stuff that he had to do, and now- This as well. All of the new series masters are pretty
3: attractive. They get more attractive as they go along, it has to be said. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I think John Sim is really great. I think we have been really lucky with with all three of them.
3: John Sim's a star performance. I mean, he undoubtedly brings the scenes that he's in in these episodes to life, even more so than in The Sound of Drums, because these episodes are not placing the master at the centre of the show.
0: Yeah. I think there are some scenes, and we did say this at the time, I think there are some scenes in um, Sound of Drums in particular that I, where I don't think his performance quite comes off. Um, but here he's perfect. I just think he's wonderful.
3: He actually nails it in the Capaldi two-parter where the master is not intrinsic to proceedings at all and is more of a Greek chorus kind of standing by going, well, that'll never work. No, come on. And so maybe he works better when he's not at the centre of a scene.
1: Can you explain to me, like, you know how Timothy Dalton throws that white point star into the projection? Is that supposed to be the time vortex
0: just right there in front of his table? I think it's it's almost literally magic, isn't it? Like he throws the white point star at an image of Earth and then it ends up landing on Earth.
1: I don't understand how it can get out of the... So there's just lock.
0: some technology or something. Oh, they do say that, something small and perfect. In fact, one of the things... people right, dodo. <laughs> people often accuse Russell of being a bit sort of sloppy with this sort of stuff or failing to explain bits of it or whatever. And whether it's because... As you say, Peter, he's running out of steam and he has to fill in the running time or something. But he they go to great length to explain how that works. I think the reason that they
2: do it like that is because it looks good. Yeah. And yeah. you paper over it with dialogue.
0: Yeah. So I think the idea is that they can send the message, can't they, through the untempered schism to drive the master mad, and then they can hear that so that they can get something out of – the time lock to where they want to it's end true. up, which is a earth. crack in time. Yeah, but it's something small and perfect. Or well, there's some dialogue yes, saying, yeah, that that's, that that's why it's going to work. And then it lands and the master finds it and he brings them.
1: I don't have a problem with the dialogue. I think you're quite right. Russell often has explanations that people miss because it's, it's a short explanation that he doesn't want to go into, yeah. but it's enough to explain it. But it's just the throwing of that into that. Thing about the table that I just kinda go, is this where you would do it or is there a specific point it just throws me a bit.
0: It gets it done really quickly without it, us having to go to the teleport chamber or something like that we, and <laughs> and it works on the logic of you know a visual logic where that's a picture of Earth and so it ends up in Earth.
2: <laughs> or an open ended power boosted transmit Trans- beam. beam. <laughs> you
3: know in the Five Doctors special edition how they replace the black triangle with the Mr Whippy um, crystal thing. Um, I'm still angry about uh, that. that. Doesn't it look like one of those little things that he throws into the <laughs> <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, they get beamed up to
3: a spaceship Oh yeah, that happens really quickly, doesn't it? One last trip to the paper mill
0: (laughs) Ed Thomas's famous paper
1: mill But right from the get-go, you've got Wilf looking out at Earth from above And the emotions that he gets from it And
0: you are taking that on board It's back to the end of... The world, isn't it? The same scene where Rose is looking out of the porthole down at Earth. It's really, it's really great. You know that the original idea, one of, you know, Russell in the Writer's Tale talks about some of his, some of the things that led to the story. And this was always supposed to be a a small scale one. He wanted the Doctor to regenerate to save one person and someone just any someone else.
2: He lands on an alien spaceship and they're. Uh, the reactor is about to go critical and he saves them, but dies in the process, saving a normal family. Yeah.
3: God, Moffat steals that wholesale.
0: Well, he, I mean, he saves a planet, doesn't he? Night nice of the Doctor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So this is kind of the remnants of that, this spaceship, isn't it? And so it's just two random aliens on a spaceship. And it is really just marking time, isn't it? That scene with Wilf looking out over the earth and talking
3: to the doctor is like a coda to the scene in episode one where they're in the cafe because, again, it's just the two of them talking and you get flashes of that Russell brilliance in that scene. The dialogue, my wife's buried down there. Yeah. Um, Who would have thought of that? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, And the fact he's talking about his war service. It's just like, you know, the entire episode is filled with flashes like that, but unfortunately they're just flashes. Yeah.
2: and. That was inspired by a conversation that Russell had had with Bernard. He had been in the war in Palestine at at the end of the war. And and so that's actually him paying
0: tribute to him. It's great too, that scene, because a lesser writer, well, maybe even just an ordinary writer, would, in order to emphasise how dire the threat is, the doctor would have taken the gun and he doesn't he refuses it a bunch of times and when does he finally take it it's at the end of the scene is it doesn't
1: push it onto him it's the end of the scene i think when doesn't the master broadcast that it's a white point star
0: yeah and so the thing that makes him take the gun is that the Time that Lords are returning right. Yeah, until then he won't. He won't take the gun to kill the Master. He absolutely won't. You know, even when even when Wilf says to him, don't prioritise the Master, don't put the Master ahead of all of the people on don't Earth. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. You know, it's so good. It's such a good scene, and even then he won't take the gun, and then, oh, it's the Time Lords are back, Um. then he takes the gun immediately. It's so good. I love the fact that that,
1: I think that scene is probably one of the most stunning scenes in this entire two-parter. But like the fact that leading up to it, Wilf has had another encounter with the woman in white, and then when we get to the end of that scene, then they're running back through corridors to repair the ship, and David's doing a huge info dump about the Time Lords as he repairs the ship. But it's, it's uh, I just find it very clever writing that you you have that moment in the middle of running through corridors and running through the paper mill. Before it and after it. There's a lot of really time efficient writing here.
0: Yeah, he keeps it going. It is essentially sort of marking time until the plot kicks back into gear, but it's not that n- nothing happens. They're not, not just sitting around talking.
1: That's right. It's not people sitting around a table and talking, or, though that might be intercut with it. It's still yes. it, the stuff in the spaceship is
3: actually really good. And the structure of this episode, I think, is better than the last one because you do get quieter scenes like that, and that's followed up by that big Han Luke and the Millennium Falcon shooting at TIE Fighters scene with Wilf, which is just, you know, you've got to love that.
1: Yes, but he gets to say, Alon Z, you know? know. One
0: last time. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. I think that that is really good, isn't it? Because he's up there, we can't do anything, we're trapped, we, you know, what's going to happen? And then he just sort of goes, actually, no, it's time for me to be the Doctor, and actually kind of Do this. And so he gets a hero moment on the way out. And (laughs) Doctor Who fans, I think, hate spectacle. They love plot, but they hate spectacle. They think spectacle is is meretricious. It's cheap. Because they and could never afford it exactly back, in the, right. back in the classic series. <laughs> that's right. Because we spent 26 years watching squabbling rubber and people standing, talking <laughs> urgently in corridors, <laughs> we decided that that was much more grown up, that that was a much greater televisual pleasure than special effects and things, you know, that's for... Stupid people. Um but in fact that sequence where, you know, the master's firing his missiles and Wilf is in the cockpit, in Luke's cockpit on the Vinvochi spacecraft, is absolutely superb. You don't have to have a heart of stone not to enjoy yeah. it.
1: <laughs> I just love the fact that um Sinead is so like not into the whole thing and then she's running from one side of the ship to the other and throwing up her hands and going, Whatever. You know, it's- <laughs> like it's just comedy gold. She we does all great f- tumbling from side to side, <laughs> acting like there in Star Trek. <laughs> I, but I just love all the point of view shots with all the missiles and going around, and it's just, it's, it's. You need that bit of action to lift the episode into yeah. the final moments. It's
2: the way they get written out. Oh, he said he was going to die. And then they just bugger off. <laughs>
0: That's
2: great, James. I think it's hilarious.
0: Eric Saywood would have had them killed. Horribly. Horribly.
1: <laughs> I think they should
0: come back. <laughs> say it
2: three times. They'll get their own big finish series. With the Vinbocci, the yeah. Vinbocci. I mean, the Vinbocci. they've
3: tried to do a uh, sequel to Megloss before and it didn't come off. It's no. waiting there for Chris to you know, take that on board.
2: Vinbocci and me.
3: <laughs> you say, yeah, it's great. All of these sort of the quieter scenes and then the action scenes, it is masking the fact a little bit that there is not much plot. I no. mean, we've basically had capture, escape, recapture. If I wanted that, I watched Frontier in Space. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's yeah. absolutely fine.
1: Then the Doctor jumps out of a spaceship from a very large height and survives that fall, which is a precedent to... The woman who fell to Earth?
0: Yeah, well, she just regenerated so she can fall through a whole railway carriage. I don't think he falls all that far, does he? Like, when we see the spaceship, it's flying sort of fairly low over the the water and stuff Mm. and heading towards the sort of thing.
1: I still think it's a very large fall. I think
3: that's a nice little throwback to Legopolis.
0: I think it's a fake-out. I think that we think that's what's going to kill him, right? And, and of course, the other thing that we think is going to kill him is the Time Lords, and they don't. Uh, And... Instead, what actually kills him, I mean, literally kills him, is
3: radiation. So, that's another throwback to yeah, Planet of yeah. the Spiders. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I think it's a, it's a feint. I think that we're supposed to think that he's going to die of this. From that, yes. Yeah, because he's covered in blood and oh. stuff. Yeah. I no, so, totally agree.
2: Literally, we thought he was going to be War Games, <laughs> then Planet of the spiders and then Logopolis. If only <laughs> yeah, he'd right.
3: been Time and the rani <laughs> No, David Tendon is not going to regenerate because of some massive thing. He's going to bump his head on the console, that dirty console, <laughs> and regenerate.
1: <laughs> so we're now at um, the Time Lords are returning, and they're materialising- In Naismith's parlour. Yes, because that's where the link is. <laughs> yeah. And then- it's Timothy Dalton, his guards, and these two women who have their hands up over their faces, one of whom we get to see and the other one we don't. Yeah, the other one's Susan. Susan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Snap. <laughs>
0: who else is it going to be? Yeah. His mother. No, but Claire Bloom's his mother. So oh, the sorry, other one the, is the woman that's covering yeah. her face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you know, were those sequences shot at different times? Was Timothy Dalton's just shot from one point of view? Does anybody know? It feels like that, doesn't it? Just the way in which the camera is positioned. I just get the feeling that they could be talking to somebody off camera rather than the actual,
0: I think sometimes we see, you know, the reverse shot. I think sometimes we see, um, tenant, like the ca- tenants between the camera. The blocking and is very stagey in yeah. that a sense. Yeah. I think, I don't think that really works, that scene where he turns around and around and around and around. I think that's a bit stupid. And I think, too, we've had the master wink at Wilf. It would be great if the doctor winks at the master and the master gets it. Yeah, you know, because the master's smart yeah. and then he shoots the you know the link out or whatever. I think that would have been good because at that point the Master and the Doctor are on the same side, aren't they? That they're facing something much, much more evil and much more destructive than either of them, uh, and so it would have been nice to have seen them work together, sort of one last time.
1: And it does become obvious in that scene how far gone the Time Lords are. And I do like, I do like the staginess to an extent with the Doctor and the gun clicks, although that's technically not how that revolver works. <laughs> and the music and the shaking and all that then stops at a certain point. But I'm jumping a bit ahead, you know, Raslon gets to change everybody back. Yeah. From the master into themselves. And so you get to see the characters you care about. And, and the, the Naismiths. and yeah, and Gallifrey, of course, materialising outside, and and um, yeah.
0: See, that's that's Russell's greatest hits, isn't it? You know, the planets in the sky again, and he makes it different by making that planet so incredibly big. It looks it looks really ominous, and it's rolling towards us in the shots on Earth. So the planet is actually rolling towards us, which makes it, you know, it's With just. With Sylvia in the foreground going, oh. <laughs> another one, <laughs> another planet. I'll have to get some more new ornaments after this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, like a steamroller towards get Tunes on the character. Character. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So good. But I think it's really great that the master gets the opportunity to take at down. Yeah. Wrestle on. Ultimately, I'm not sure where the master goes. Everything just fades to white. So, does he just get sucked in with them? Yeah.
2: Well, he goes so- to Mondas, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> I
3: don't know. Well, I think it's a good payoff because the last time Rassilon and the Master faced off, Rasselon was a pantomime ghost, and the Master was trussed up like a chicken on the floor
1: of the vault. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's a Christmas story as well. So it's it's the Master's revenge, correct.
3: Yeah. Whose crimes will be uh, punished in the end?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I didn't – when I watched this originally, I didn't get it that the Doctor was going to shoot the machine Mm. so that it would then explode and everything would just revert back. Like I didn't see it coming. Um, Like when everything fades to white and Wilf is trapped. All throughout these two episodes watching this again, there are so many – Russell's pointing us in the direction of wealth all the time and then suddenly just doing a left or right turn very quickly with humour, with some emotional beat, something else to take our mind away from it. But he keeps on directing it back and until he knocks that four times, like I, and the music then just goes from triumphant and then slowly go, like goes down.
0: It's so well done. It's so done. well done. And it's one of those things that that uh, writers do, good writers do all the time. They tell you what they're going to do. It's exactly what you said. Wilf's all the way there. He's central. We're told it over and over again. Um, he's bound up with the Doctor's fate. All of that. We know it's Wilf, but we've even forgotten Wilf is there. And it's completely quiet, and it's kind of like, well, what possible threat is there? Do you know what I mean? Like, he fell through the roof. That's not going to kill him. Rassilon's not going to kill him. He's not sacrificing himself uh, to get Gallifrey to go because the master does that. And he's there. It's just like, well, what, what's going to kill me then? Um, and that's what we're thinking because we all know it's a regeneration story. And he even has the line. I'm alive. I'm alive. (laughs) And then knock 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 and it's like, oh my God. Like
2: (laughs) you you, like exactly. You see it coming. You see it coming and then every single time you just get misdirected away from it.
1: Yeah. Just when you I think you're about to make that link in your head, you get distracted. Yeah. It's very clever. And I love the fact that it's four knocks, but it's four lots of four knocks. Like it just, it just, yeah,
0: and it's this sort of tentative knock too. It's you know we had the master hitting barrels with a with a big stick, and last episode even like you only get three knocks in the waters of Mars thing as well. Like it's always these big bangs, but this time it's not. It's just him tapping with his nail on the glass, and the reason he's in that position is that he allows a young technician to escape. So the. The technician says, I can't get out unless that door is closed. Um, and so he takes the young technician's place. So he's rescued someone and then there he is. And the scene is so, like, it's really quiet, you know, like it's completely quiet and all of this sort of histrionics and stuff has all gone away and it's it's very, very good. See, I, think.
2: I find the whole speech from from. The doctor to Wilf. Really, really cruel. It's awful. And I think it's meant to be though. I think it's meant to be the doctor wallowing in his self-pity before he does the right thing. But I think that's a step too far. It just it feels really wrong in in the character's mouth
0: and, and to say that to to a character we've grown to love. To Bernard Cribbins. You don't yell at Bernard Cribbins. It's rule one. It's, uh, it's terrible. I really, really and hate th- it. That's why he should die. Yeah.
3: But I think we're, we're being put in the place of the audience there. We talk about the fact the audience was participants in this era of the show. And so the audience is there even though it's lovely Bernard Cribbins, going, what, so you've killed our favourite doctor? Well done.
0: <laughs> That's right. And how old are you? <laughs> exactly. If you hadn't
2: saved that young technician, he would have let him fry. <laughs> <laughs> but just the, who are you?
1: I could have done so much. Oh, oh. I could do so much more. I hate that moment. I really do yeah. and I really don't like David Tennant in that moment. I just find him completely OTT and out of control. We see I love that moment, but for the same reasons I really don't like the doctor
3: in it.
0: Yeah. So so you're saying that that it's the doctor being awful and it's clearly time for him to go. Uh, No, I'm not saying that. Um, It's just like you'll feel less bad when he's not in the next episode.
3: No, it's more the fact that the audience is on the doctor's side in this. As lovable as wealth is, the audience doesn't want the doctor to go. And so the doctor is allowed to stand there and say, well, great, because you were basically stupid and now I've got to save you. Um, I don't want to go. The audience doesn't want me to go. I'm going to say that. However, now I am going to do the right thing and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. I, I
1: totally see your point of view. But I just, I don't like some of the dialogue. I don't like David's performance at that point. And I just, it's all the things that I don't like about his doctor.
0: Yeah, I
1: agree. I'm now recognising moments in this last sequence of run, just in the last six or seven episodes where it's these over-the-top moments or this is what's sticking my mind, but it's actually not indicative of his performance actually all the way through. Yeah, I think it's a very raw moment
3: for the Doctor. And we're not used to seeing that rawness where the Doctor blames other people and is cruel to other people. But I think give him that moment because of what he's about to do.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
1: I see where you're coming from and I totally understand.
0: Yeah. I don't I, feel it. No, I don't like it. And I don't – it is that Tennant performance, which the worst thing about David Tennant's Doctor, and it's absolutely in that scene and the way he delivers it. I um, think he's been excellent throughout this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I just have a problem with that moment in episode one and I have a problem with this moment because then he comes back with, oh, yeah, now it opens or whatever yeah, see, it is. that's that fine. That is so –
0: I it's, love that moment. It's, it's beautifully played. It's a great release of tension, I think. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, it yeah. It
1: is a great release of tension. A great release of tension. <laughs> but, but But in that same moment, you know, then, you know, he puts his hands over his face and the scars are gone and you get to see the hug from Wilf and Donna wake up and Sylvia smiling at the doctor.
0: Yes, she's smiling.
1: She's smiling. <laughs> and then, look, I'll see you one more time and I'm going to get my reward.
3: So, from Wolf knocking on the glass to the end of the episode, I think might be one of the most perfect stretches of Doc 2 ever.
0: Everyone, here's my experience everyone that I speak to really loves it, but believes everyone else hates it. Um, And I think there are people who think it's self indulgent. It is? Yeah, I think it is too. (laughs) Um, And so was the end of Journey's End too. Um, But the actual visiting the companions. Actually, only takes about five minutes. It's, it's not very long. And I think it's absolutely superb. And I think it's necessary.
2: And they've earned it. Yeah. They've
0: earned it over That's the right. last four it's and a half years. It's not there for the doctor. It's there for them yeah. to play a part in the end of the era. And for us, you know, to remind us of what we've been through over the last five years. And it does it perfectly. You hate it, Todd.
1: No, I absolutely and utterly adore it. At the time, I was going, "What is this? Why is this? The doctor just sort of regenerates, and we have floating heads and flashbacks. <laughs> and this is not the way Doctor Who works, right? Russell has just uh he's just been self indulgent and you know he should just regenerate right now. He can't go on for another sixteen mm-hmm. minutes before regenerating. um of course, as always, I've changed my tune. Uh, we, we now uh, know five you to can, a
0: nine. you now know that we can hold it in for a whole special. <laughs> Correct. Correct Are we um, back to Todd's little black book
1: <laughs> Who invited you Peter Griffiths Who invited you I did I really love it And it is earned and it's necessary And I think what's really great is that everybody Comes back to do it Yeah. And I think that's testament to The family atmosphere of the show And how the show is run And it's a reflection of the viewers and ha- all these people are part of their family and have been.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think that we are probably more impressed by that as classic doctor who fans, because it literally never happened or not never, but very, you know, seldom actually. The first to get
2: is Matthew Waterhouse,
0: um, in Androsani. Yeah. Well, in fact, they all come back for yeah. Androsani just for a brief thing, but, but it's sort of crap. Um, <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> yeah 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 um but this i think is just tremendous and and we saw them go off into an unknown future at the end of journey's end now we see where they are now and so it's not just a repeat
1: so we've got martha and mickey and they're married versus the Sontaran. how do we feel about the marriage i'm
0: oh, fine with that yeah i don't mind i kind of love it yeah
1: it's so hilarious like it's like and they're married. She gave up Lucifer and, <laughs> and she's got okay. dreadlocks.
3: It's <laughs> great.
2: I, I'd give up Lucifer, Noel Clark. Yeah, yeah, he's
3: Sorry. nice. <laughs> I mean, Lucifer's hot. Oh, yeah. No, Clark Clark's won't lovely. come and meet you on a beach in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Is
2: that a euphemism?
1: <laughs> and then we've got Luke and obviously the Doctor saves Luke and he name checks Clyde and Mr. Smith and then the final appearance of... Liz, Liz Sladen. Liz looking at the doctor. The doctor looking at Liz
3: is
0: guaranteed to bring a lump to your throat. Oh no, I, that's I was crying by that point. Yeah. So you know
2: the saving of Luke is an in joke by Russell because the kids never looked left or right when they crossed the street outside the house, <laughs> and and they get closed yeah. off street for filming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, like they and they do it even when they weren't filming, like just walking sort of around. And, and they kept being told off for, <laughs> for it. And so he made that part of the
3: story. But you see, it's these vignettes, um, accompanied by some of Murray's best ever music, yeah. which have all of that Russell warmth and cleverness and the ability just to draft a complete emotional arc in 30 seconds, yeah. which the rest of the episode does lack occasionally, but is utterly redeemed
1: by these sequences. Totally agree, and, and you've just summarised that utterly brilliantly. Um, I try my best. And then we get the cantina with let's have every single monster that we possibly yeah, can yeah. with Captain Jack and uh, Alonzo from Voyage of the Damned. It's just,
2: you know where that's set on the planet Zog?
3: See, I think they missed a trick there It shouldn't have been Alonzo It should have been Jenny Jenny needed a reappearance The Doctor could have set up Jack with his own daughter How about that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, It would have just tied in with Mr. Naismith and his daughter (laughs) In the prison cell (laughs) Then the surprising one to me Is the Verity Newman book launch But Mm. my goodness, doesn't it get to you?
0: It's the very last line of the scene where he's asked Verity if her grandmother was happy. And she blatantly lies and says yes. Yes. And then she says, were you? And again, because Tennant chooses to underplay it, it's not a slappable moment for him. It's actually really pretty good. And apparently did an early cut of the episode leave it out? Yes.
3: Russell or Julie or somebody said that when Eros – assembled the edit he took that scene out for reasons unknown maybe for pacing or or for duration or whatever and it took them several times watching it to go wait
1: where's the jessica Hines scene yeah Yeah. interesting then we do get a bit of levity and joy in the donna noble wedding and neris
0: (laughs) neris friends and neris again
1: generally in long shot yeah but then Bringing it back to Wilf and Sylvia. And my goodness, the moment the doctor says that he borrowed the money from Sylvia's husband, Geoffrey Noble. yeah, It just got to me. I actually burst into tears the first time I watched it at that point. And it's not only David Tennant's performance. It's actually Jackie's performance oh. as Sylvia. And that character arc and the payoff of that character where, yeah, Obviously, she was in turn left a lot, but a lot of the other times she's just in the background doing things, I just think is an absolute testament to her, to Bernard and to David and the way they work.
3: It's the big important Sylvia moment that we've been waiting for all story, and she gets it finally right at the end and pulls your heart to pieces.
0: There's the famous gif, of course, of Wilf saluting, which is is taken from that moment as well as the doctor leaves. It's wonderful. It's so beautifully shot as well. I mean, the, the music, obviously,
3: but the wind machine blowing the leaves across the TARDIS. Is, I mean, it's beautiful television.
1: Mm. Oh, and he gets to tell the doctor the Naismiths were locked up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And his daughter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really cute. Like, it's just like, let's tie up this air. You know, who cares? Was anyone wondering? You know, but um, there we go. And
1: then it just cuts into um two lovely ladies walking home together I, I will say this i do think billy piper looks too thin in this scene
0: i i just because her
1: teeth are bigger <laughs>
0: yeah, i was gonna say
2: i'm not sure about her teeth i'm not saying it's criticism <laughs> i'm just
0: saying she actually looks really thin I think she's really great in this, and I she's think she, phenomenal. she nails Rose. Like, after all this time, after all those times we've talked about how she comes back in Series 4 and can't remember how to play it or whatever, this is her playing the original character. She's given Jackie, she's given the estate, yeah. she's right back there. It's so good. It's so great. I it's, mean, having Jackie back. Jackie, yeah. yeah, yeah. Having Rose telling her not to stay out. Too late, we get that.
3: And, and you know, 30 seconds, Russell, beautiful emotional arc with Jackie saying, At my age, I'm not going to get any better. Rose stopping and saying, Don't say that. Yes. You know, this is an important
0: moment between those two characters jammed into this tiny scene. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's so good. And because how else are you going to do it? And it's perfect because it brings the entire show back full circle um, where the show starts. And where his doctor starts.
2: And you know that they're going to get a happy ending
0: yeah. as well.
3: Well, she's going to marry a mechanic. I mean, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, this
3: also has a personal resonance for me because the first time I ever saw David Tennant in action was visiting the set when they were shooting scenes for the Christmas invasion on the estate. Right. And I stood there with a frenemy of the podcast, Paul Masters, And we watched these scenes and we watched the little sort of um, bottom of the TARDIS that they flew above Jackie and Mickey as it came into land. And we watched David Tennant in it. And I couldn't help thinking when I was watching this, it just took me back to that. And I thought how far the show had come Mm. in those four years. I mean, it was just incredible.
0: Yeah. I think that that is one hell of a great sequence. The final scene, on the other hand, um, I don't really like very
1: much. Oh, when he what, staggers to the wall and then <sighs> And then the music is too over sing the top. You to your sleep. Yeah,
0: yeah. You've got the ood and like that ood was cross at him before. I liked the ood when he was cross. Now the ood's all over him.
1: I think he just needed to stagger to the TARDIS and get, get into the TARDIS. We didn't need
0: that. Yeah, I think it's too much. It's a bit overwrought. Yeah, I think so too. And and just look, you know, it's it's Doctor Who, and it can be operatic and melodramatic. It it's not prestige TV. We've got Murray telling us how to feel about that, and that's exactly what incidental music is for. But I just think it's too much. Uh, just far too much. And when tenants acting in it, that's precisely the sort of tenant acting that I hate. So his last moment is him gnashing his teeth, crawling along, you know, (laughs) his bottom lip wobbling. He's in tears and it's all just, you know- Overwrought? Yeah, I just want him to go. There
3: were several takes of the very last line, including one where he was much more overwrought and they used kind of the middling
2: one, which I think was the right decision. number, Number three- Mm. where he's almost, almost wrought. <laughs> I don't mind <laughs> the I don't want to go. Opposed I- to number four, where where he's past wrought. <laughs> but isn't it the story of Doctor Who all over, that you have this
3: huge dramatic moment with um, big emotions and swelling music and the console room on fire, and then you bring in the new Doctor who just gets comedy moments, kissing his legs and going, I'm not ginger, and going, ooh, then the TARDIS explodes on him.
0: And I think every subsequent regeneration you feel the same way. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, and I don't know whether it's because all of the doctors outstay their welcome or something, <laughs> but it's kind of like, oh, so Smith's gone. here's Capaldi. He's like really scary and interesting. You get that terrible, terrible twice upon a time where, um, and the doctor gives an eighteen-minute speech at the end, and then and is thinking about killing himself, and then suddenly Jodie turns up and goes, "Wow, brilliant!" And you know, like the whole thing, it's always a relief. This is the
2: template for every regeneration since. Yeah. And, and the show suffers for it, I think, in the long run.
1: I really hate the way he spits on the console too when he says, I'm crashing." I was very unimpressed. I was quite determined to hate him from that point <laughs> on. No,
2: that's because all of the debris falling from, this, from the set got in his mouth. And he was literally spitting stuff out of his mouth as he was saying that. Did they that. not do a retake?
0: <laughs> no, they were they, exploding they,
2: the set in the no, background. No, they were going to cut it out, but... Russell insisted that they keep it in. I quite like it. It has to be said.
1: I hate that bit.
0: I hate it. <laughs> I like him immediately, though. Like I, I think he he does. He's a bit squeaky voiced, and he never really properly does that again. Um, but it is that thing where you've had a doctor who's been like dreading this, and then he gets through it, and actually, it's all right. Everything's fine, and it turns out he's really funny and silly and super doctorish. And he gets to
1: say Geronimo, and I'm thinking, (laughs) really, are they going to keep that? That's going to be, like, the word?
0: I think he only ends up saying it three times or four times in all. It doesn't become a catchphrase.
1: And as much as I do
3: like Matt Smith's first outfit as the Doctor, he looks great in David Tennant's costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Do you
1: know, I've sounded really negative on Matt Smith right here at this point, but I adore him as the Doctor, but at this point in time, I was struggling with the new guy. And also that you know when he was interviewed, like when he was announced, and I just thought, oh,
0: yeah, well that's All right.
1: too young. It's going to be Peter Davison all over again. He's well, too me. old. <laughs> He's too
0: fat. <laughs> well, I just thought, oh, really? It's just another kind of sort of wacky white guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't. Anyway. We will be talking about this. We will
1: be discovering the joy of Matt Smith <laughs> over the next five. few
0: years. Mm. And of course,
3: there is no doctor who's ever nailed it in his first scene as much as Matt does. Mm. That doctor that you get there is pretty much the doctor that we get.
0: Okay, so it's part two, so it's time for Picks of the Week.
1: My Pick of the Week is the YouTube channel Mary Claire's Life. She's a New Who fan who's gone back to the beginning of the classic series, and she's watched every single episode up to The Robots of Death, and she's an absolute joy and delight to watch because she's tried not to be spoiled on anything And just her discovering the show and the characters and her joy for it and telling you Who fans, these people that don't want to know anything about Classic Who, they've got rocks in their heads. I just love her. And (laughs) I continue to watch her. Go and find that channel.
0: I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's a delightful choice.
2: Isn't it delightful having a Doctor Who fan – on YouTube who likes Doctor Who. <laughs> That's
1: it. There, 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 there's a couple of others. Seska Says and Medusa Cascade are also doing this journey. Seska. <laughs> yes. It's a fantastic <laughs> – it's not her real name, but it's it's just fantastic. They're also doing the same journey and and they're at different points. And so I watch all three of them and, and all three women are just loving different aspects of the show and it's brilliant. But Mary Claire's is my pick at the moment.
2: So my pick of the week is W1A. Oh, the, yeah. uh BBC two mockumentary comedy uh, featuring Hugh Bonneville and Jessica Hines. Um, it's kind of a bit like say uh, Utopia or um, the games. It's, it's a spin-off from 2012, which was the BBC's version of the games, basically um, with the same characters from that, that story. And Tennant is, it does the narration. Oh, okay. And is better in it than Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just love it. It's just, it's just so enjoyable. It's basically set behind the scenes at the BBC with their sort of spin doctor PR department.
3: My pick of the week, or indeed the month, um, given that President Obama is name-checked so much in these episodes... And Wolf talks about the fact that he's got a big plan to save the planet. I'm not sure that ever came to fruition, but I think he did try. My pick of the week will be to go back and look at some of the post-election coverage from 2020, with uh, Donald Trump refusing to concede in a very autocratic way, and um, Joe Biden winning the election and becoming the president-elect. Because it turns out that because President Obama then-Senator Obama took Joe Biden and made him vice president and gave him that platform, and he then ran for the presidency. And I think it's becoming increasingly clear that maybe he was the only Democrat who could win against Donald Trump, and indeed did. President Obama did, in fact, save the planet. So go back and watch some of the coverage and enjoy.
0: I'm going to go for a TV show, um, and it is uh, The Boys, which is on Amazon Prime, uh, and I am just really enjoying it. I've watched the first two seasons all the way through. I'm someone who doesn't do violence and gore very well. I like to watch... Uh, you know, the sort of violence that I like is where someone gets shot in the stomach and then they clutch their throat or whatever, and then they, <laughs> they fall to the ground. Space 1999. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just something something gentle. This is super gory. Um, and eventually the gore is hilariously funny. And that's not normally how I I kind of process it. And it is slightly ironic. The boys are a group of sort of people who are fighting against superheroes, so it's a little bit like the Avengers in Avengers Assemble, uh, only they're run by a giant evil corporation uh, and they sort of represent American capitalism and American imperialism and stuff like that. And there's a bracing dash of white supremacy uh, in series two. It is really, really kind of great satire with really, really fun performances. And it's delightful that it comes to us courtesy of the largest and most evil corporation on the planet. That's all we have time for this week. We'll be back next week for our Russell T. Davis retrospective, where we'll be talking about the entirety of the first five years of the 21st century version of Doctor Who. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FTE Podcast on Twitter, and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bondfinger and Jodie into Terror. Until next time, may the next person who saves your life at least try to be a little bit gracious about it. Thank you very much for listening and good night. Happy New Year.
3: I'll see you soon. Good night. I don't want to go. He's always saying that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was Flight for Entirety, starring Todd Bealby, Nathan Bottomley, Peter Griffiths and James Selwood. Theme arrangement by Cameron Lamb, strings performance by Jane Orberg. This episode, a great release of Tension, was recorded on the 13th of December 2020 and released on New Year's Day. That was the last episode of our coverage of the 2009 specials, and so it's time to thank our guests over the last few weeks. Simon Moore, Pete Lambert and Conrad Westmas. We'll see you next week. Sorry, did I ruin the outro there? No, 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 that's it. Let's do Picks of the Week.
1: I didn't get to say that I gave it seven out of 10. <laughs> it used to be a 6.8. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: you've revised it up. Well, I had a total Todd moment rewatching this, like doing the thing, like because I just thought, oh, you know, this is a bit of a mess and it doesn't go anywhere or anything. And then I rewatched it and live tweeted it and really enjoyed it. Like well, I it, was it is a mess that doesn't go anywhere. But it's quite good. Well, it's I mean, quite like I um- like it. I'd always thought that Russell kind of vamping. You know that thing, is it Sandifer who says that um, Bob Holmes could write Doctor Who in his sleep and the reason we know that is because he frequently did? And, and, <laughs> and I think both Russell and Moffat can do Doctor Who in their sleep and this may be, this is kind of like Russell on empty, yeah, yeah not giving he, it all his energy. He
3: wakes up and writes the last- Ten
0: minutes. Well, no, but the last ten minutes is really his wheelhouse. There's no plot. He doesn't have to do anything beyond just those little vignettes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's him on easy mode, you know. But so good. <laughs> I know. Um,
1: I was going to say something, but now I've completely gone blank. Was it about Neesmith's daughter? <laughs> <laughs> <Is that Peter? laughs> no, no, no. I think all the emotional beats throughout these episodes are the things that keep me going. Just when I'm going to get annoyed yeah. with some plot point or and or something i don't particularly like, and um uh, yeah, I liked
0: it yeah i didn't I, love it,
1: yeah, and I can and he uses every trick in his book that he, that and, it, and it, it it hangs together yeah
0: it does what it has to do i think but the the choice to do i think this is a tag the choice to do um like something that's not plotty at all, that is just let's spend some time with these people and give David some acting moments on the way out the door uh, and we'll re- re- resolve the Gallifrey thing. And I think that's the right decision. I think doing a big, giant, overstuffed spectacle, you know. Well, i just done that with Stolen Earth yeah, and and but yeah. also
3: it proves, again, even exhausted and running on empty and having nothing much left to say, Russell is incapable of writing bad Doctor Who. Yeah. All
0: right. Okay, so it's part two. So it's time for Picks of the Week.